I'm Kevin Coleman at the boys underscore 22. I'm Jeff Bow at for whom J bell tolls. And I am Christian Williams at C Williams NFL. And this is the Debbie Royale. I do this day in and day out oh. all night long. Yeah. This is all I think about. This is all I care about. Y'all all I care about. Let's go, man. It's here. We televised. So you know we got to show out. Yeah. They talk it jump. So you know we got to put in the sleep. Yeah. Let's go, man. Let's go. go play. Let's go. We do this every day. We work too hard. Day in and day like I told y'all. They'll do what we do. They'll do what we do. They never know what we did. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Debbie Royale. And we are definitely in the middle of February with not for you. And we're going to be talking about, a, I think, some good things today. We're going to be plugging some stuff, talking about the stuff. But I think the most important thing we're going to be doing is talking about our ranking process and just how we scout and how we look at our, our guys, how we find those deep sleepers. I think not enough people talk about that because they're worried about, I don't know, people stealing it or whatever. Uh, and I think that's good for you to hear how we kind of come up with our stuff because how are you going to trust us, you know, with your, with your anything really? I mean, you got to trust the process, right? Philly fans. And you got to trust us in terms of like how we get our Debbie rankings there. So uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is plug in the, you know, our Patreon and the manifesto, but I'm gonna let Jeff do that. Uh, he, he, he can plug that and talk about kind of why you should go there. Obviously Debbie Royale Patreon is there. We're almost to 40 members in a, Less than a week, which is we're very thankful for, and we appreciate everybody out there. But Jeff, why don't you give it? Then we'll let Christian talk about it. Yeah, if if you're looking for a guide to help you through your drafts, I, you're not going to find a better one out there right now than the manifesto. It's all broken down in one place. We've got depth charts, we've got rankings, we've got statistics, we've got team trends, and we have outlooks for all of the Power Five teams on where we expect everything to move this year. Um, there, there's a lot of great work in the space, but this kind of consolidates a lot of things into one area. If you join our Patreon, you you can come into our Discord, and I occasionally check it like once or twice a day. And you can <laughs> tag, tag me and, and ask me questions about what kind of cheeseburgers I like. And, you know, we've got other things going on there. There's bunches of reasons to do it. So, um, you know, build that community out. We can all get in there. I'll, I'll try to make I'll be in there a little bit more. I'll try my best. Um, but, you know, it's just a great resource. And we're always there. We're happy to answer any questions that you might have. And it's not so much that it gives more access to us, but we've got some pretty good conversation that has already started to take place. And so feel free to join the community and we'd love to have you aboard and certainly get the resource and go ahead and win your draft. Yeah. Yeah. I shocked all the patrons uh, by saying that macaroni and cheese is my favorite burger topping because they said bacon was a cop out. I, I go with bacon, but the mac and cheese is my go-to. There, there are some good mac and cheese burgers out there, but another reason that, uh, you know, heading to the Patreon would be a good idea is uh, Kevin, Jeff, and I over the weekend decided that we were going to put together 
a little bit of a rookie guide and a little bit of a rookie guide turned into a 50 plus page uh, rookie manifesto that we will be dropping next month. So if you get into the Patreon now, it's just going to get sent out to you in March. Um, and, and I believe we'll have that done towards the beginning of the month. So this is going to help you in your dynasty rookie drafts as well. Yeah. So we're going to have a lot of background on some of these guys. You know, we're doing the the video breakdowns on this YouTube, uh, but I, I think the the written content will be helpful so you can go back and, and kind of reference that while you're in your rookie drafts. Uh, we're going to rank, I don't know how many players, like I said, over 50 pages, whatever, how many of our prospects that is per position. But we're excited to bring that. The other part of being a part of the Patreon is that we will be updating all of these things consistently. So this first update is kind of a big one. And then I assume that we're going to find little things that that you guys want as patrons or that we find will be valuable to you. And, and hopefully, you know, we can make that, bring that to life, you know? So um, we're really excited to be doing this. And, and like Kevin said, we appreciate all of the, the immediate support. Uh, it kind of blew us away that, that first week. We, we did not expect anything like that. So um, yeah, join the Patreon. It, I didn't put the link in this description. I am a failure, uh, but we will have the link. We can put it underneath the the show on Twitter if that's where yeah. you're watching, and uh, it's on the YouTube as well. I'll put it. I'll put it on there. But I, I will say, like, especially with just, we're never gonna do anything that you know on there that won't help you win your with your leagues. Like, it's actionable. Like, hey, here's what the rankings are. Here's this. And I'm, I, I think me and Christian and Jeff too. But me and Christian are nut jobs. We we think of things and we're like, yeah, let's do it, and then we just do it. And you know, we did it over uh the weekend we're like hey let's kind of dive this in so there's plenty of stuff out there that that we're going to bring to you guys i have a lot of stuff for the for college football in terms of position battles stuff like that so be on the lookout and uh let's dive into a little bit of the college football playoff so we had uh we had some news college football playoff expansion is going to be on hold uh current 14 format is going to remain until 2026 and it's pretty much that's what it's going to be there was a 12 team proposal was proposed but it won't be expanding until probably 2026. Uh, they said the board of managers has accepted a recommendation basically from the management committee, blah, 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 blah. Basically, Bill Hancock said, guys couldn't agree. There's too much ego in the room, and we couldn't figure out how to do this, and so everybody else is going to suffer. Jeff, what's your first, uh, I don't know, I guess your inkling on this? Like, what do you think about this? And it, whose fault is this? Is this basically greed, or is this just um, short-sighted you know, commissioners out there? The, uh, you know, I, I've been on record that I think that the ACC, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 need to get very aggressive in terms of kind of forming their own super conference, because essentially the SEC has already taken those steps with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. This this conversation was really the SEC was kind of um, opening the doors a little bit for the other teams to allow other teams to get in. And that's the reality to allow the other conferences to get in. The other conferences dropped the ball hardcore here. Um, the ACC is only concerned about making sure Notre Dame joins the ACC. That's literally all the ACC cares about is getting Notre Dame into the conference. The Pac-12 was extremely concerned about the Rose Bowl being at noon or being at uh, four o'clock or whatever it is on January 1st. And the committee was trying to bend over backwards to figure out a way to make it work. 
the, the Pac-12 wanted the Rose Bowl regardless of whether or not it was in the playoffs. So they they were insistent on, you know, it could have been Northwestern playing Arizona State. They just wanted it at that primetime when that window that it is now. They didn't care about anything else but making sure that happened. And the Big Ten, um, yeah, they just kind of – the leadership, Kevin Warren, not great. And um, I'm blanking on exactly what was going on with the Big Ten. I, I remember reading something, and I can't come up with it right away. But um, the SEC kind of opened up their hearts and said, hey, we'll allow you guys to get more teams in the playoff. Well, selfishly realizing that they're going to try to get three, four, five, six teams into the playoff as well. What is really going on, you know, in the in the aftermath of a SEC only championship game, the second one in however many years we've had the, the college football playoff, the ACC or the SEC, I, I think that they there was also a level of we're already dominating this playoff. We're already having national championship games that are just extensions of our conference championship, and why why are we going to continue to do this? And I think that that was probably the ultimate breakdown not feeling like they needed to have that obligation to involve everybody. This is one of those that, you know, the landscape is shifting so quickly in college football and the sec is really ahead of everything. Then they're getting aggressive and we see Texas A&M's recruiting class in NIL. And we see other sec schools that have really gotten on the forefront of the NIL. We see them adding Oklahoma and Texas making their own super conference. And the rest of the, the rest of the other conferences are just so concerned about aged out tradition that doesn't even matter anymore they, they can't there's nobody there that can see where things are heading and that's just leaving everything and it's creating a whole mess in college football and i have little faith that there's going to be much resolution i think that where you're ultimately going to end up you know like gene smith at ohio state or, or some of these other big schools they're going to have to get aggressive and say either this is what we're doing or we're leaving and i have a feeling it's probably going to end up leaving given the tradition of Valuing the vote of Rutgers as much as you value the vote of Ohio State when it comes to college football. Yeah, so I think the the worst part of all of this is that the main discussion point shouldn't be all of this. Like, it should be: Are we doing enough to justify playing, making these college athletes play more games? Like that's that is the one question that I feel we never get to touch on with this subject. And I think that that's the one that, you know, if there was a, an NCAA players association, which I know that there are boards and and things that oversee things like that and, and making sure that athletes are treated correctly. But if there was like a players association, they would be pushing back and saying, well, we don't really want this either because what this is going to do say it's a, what the proposal was 12 teams, right? It wasn't 16, yeah, it was 12. 12. It's 12. So for a, for an Alabama, you know, I would look at that if I'm a, the Alabama Players Association, and I would say, what is the point of us playing an additional game? Uh, or, yeah, just, just an additional game because yeah. they'd be the, the one seed. Um, what, what is, <laughs> just, yeah, we'll well, just, we're going to chalk Alabama in as the one seed. That's, yeah, they're that's the how one we seed. make arguments Every here. Year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but why would we – play an extra game when we don't have to because we're getting to the national championship every year anyway. So I think those are questions too, that over the next four years, because this, this is not going to get done until 2026 is when the current contract expires for the college football playoff. This is not going to get done this year, and this is not going to get done next year. And the good thing I think is that these conversations have started. And so now 
they have some basis for what they want and hopefully they can turn that into something by 2026 but there's so much that will change in the next four years that will render some of these conversations that we're having right now kind of irrelevant and so it's it's a tough situation i i don't know why they were pressing to get it done immediately i know that it's what a lot of people want i know the other conferences obviously want that um but if they're not willing to kind of bend on what their wishes are like the pac-12 and the rose bowl and things like that then i don't think it'll ever get done and so we're going to be looking at a 14 playoff the other side of things is that do we even need 12 teams other than the fact that it gives us more football and it puts more money in their pockets like Four teams, it always comes down to we the favorites. You know, like Notre Dame's getting blown out every time they make the playoff. Cincinnati didn't – like good good on Cincinnati for making it, but they're not going to beat an Alabama in, what, 9.9 out of 10 years. You know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. I don't know that it's a necessary step, and I think that is also one of the holdups is that everyone kind of knows that it's not very necessary. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you brought up a good point. Well, you brought up a, a few good points, but I, I will say too. I think the biggest, I think the biggest thing uh, that you mentioned is like, hey, in 2025, 2026, this is going to be a whole new college football landscape. Just look at how much it changes last year. NIL is going to be bigger, and you're looking at the guys that are there. So the administrators running this stuff, you know, Bullsby there, he's 70, he's going to be 70 then. Thompson 65, Swarback is 67. Even the executive director, Bill Hancock, 71. So when you're looking at the ages, we're going to have a whole new group of guys probably negotiating this stuff, and they might have a whole different idea of what they what they want for this. So I think from that perspective, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think it should be eight teams. I think I've argued this before five conference i know jeff doesn't like it but five conference champions and then just three at large they'll all be sec teams it doesn't matter like because it's all going to be sct teams is there and i think i think that's kind of how uh you should just do it but again that's there's nothing perfect there but i will say this the pac-12 is asked they've always been asked they are terrible they have no idea how to run a conference they historically put their teams behind by their backward ass thinking, the Pac-12 network, uh, all the Rose Bowl. Listen, bull games don't matter anymore. I hate everybody out there. I hate to, pr- to tell you this. Bull games don't matter, okay? I watched the Mayo Bowl to see someone get dunked on more than like the Rose Bowl. Now, the Rose Bowl is great, obviously, the Ohio State, Utah, but we still had all those kids opt out. No one really cares about the Rose Bowl. It's great. It's nice pageantry. It's there. If your team's in it, that's cool. But to not ha- expand the playoff to where your ass could actually get in, because I hate to break it to you right now, Pac-12, I don't see you guys getting in the playoff. The only way you're going to be getting in that playoff is if you can actually, hey, if USC builds it up, okay, but that's going to take them some time. And even then, who knows what's going to happen. They are, Riley tends to choke in big games. I don't know if you guys have watched him at all. And so you could have expanded, but instead you you sit on this Northwestern versus Oregon Rose Bowl. You're, that's the you know that's just so asshole thinking. It drives me crazy because being in Pac-12 kind of over here, they could do so much more. They could do so much more, but they are just run by morons. You're correct, and it just it kills me. But I I, I digress. I, I Pac-12. It it just it's I cannot believe that those people have power like they do when they've been insignificant since what USC. 
Yeah, yeah. I do. Re- I remembered what the Big Ten sticking point was. The Big Ten sticking point was that they wanted every conference champion to make it, and the other conferences were telling them we we're, were talking about twelve teams here. Every conference champion is going to be in the top twelve, and Kevin Warren insisted, "No, you have to put that in the in the the agreement." And and I don't know, and, and I don't understand why. Real talk: Why is the Big Twelve? absent Oklahoma <laughs> and Texas considered yeah. why is it it's not the power five anymore just stop who yeah. like there's yeah. this is not the Iowa State or Oklahoma State or whoever it is leading this conference is not a power five conference anymore we are talking about a power four conference in reality when you break it down to four power conferences you have the SEC and outside of the very bottom of the SEC you're going to have 10, 12 teams that are going to be recruiting like mad because NIL is going to have that reality. And then you're going to have three or four teams just like normal in at the top of the ever other conferences or even one, even yeah. one team at the top of the other conferences. And, and you know, as, as long as it goes off that these teams won't get involved and figure out. Now, supposedly the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 have an agreement to figure out some scheduling between the three of them, which is a baby step. But I just don't – I don't know. It's very frustrating being a – you know, I'm, I'm a Big Ten fan, and everybody knows that I'm an Ohio State fan. And I don't know. It's almost – Ohio State is almost completely different than the rest of the Big Ten and when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to the way that they're functioning – um, but it, you're very discouraged because what's what's the future? Does Ohio State have to go to the SEC so that they can continue to recruit on that same level? Is or is it going to be so difficult just to get kids because the other t- the SEC is going to have guys that are playing against guys going on Sunday and sending guys to the league that you're going to just see a continued difference in competition between everybody. I I think the point about Ohio State going to the SEC. So I don't know if you guys saw, I don't know who wrote it. I want to say Andy Staples may have written it, uh, a proposal that we changed the the way the the entire landscape of college football works. Of course, we're doing that anyway. Uh, SEC champion versus the rest, the field, SEC versus the field. And that is your national championship, because what it comes down to is people would be interested in, in that narrative. But the reason I bring up, well, maybe Ohio State should go to the SEC is because it wouldn't be that interesting if you've got a team like Ohio State that's consistently in the college football playoff, consistently dominating that other side. So pretty much just make it all the teams that suck and then have, uh, you know, a big, big bowl at the end of the year. The SEC champion gets to play all the other teams that suck and the SEC wins every year. And then that's the new tradition. Instead of bowl games, we just have SEC champions. That's it. It's, it's a terrible idea. I know. I mean, but it's something, right? Like at least it's at least they're trying to think here. But in reality, we talked about on the show all year. It was going to be Georgia, Alabama. We we talked about it. We knew. We knew. I mean, well, Jeff, Jeff still thought Ohio State was good, but you Christian know, did he, too. I did. No, I did. Christian, Christian <laughs> did. Christian was said me. Ohio State was the best team in college football, and I said well, I don't I, know about that. They, and then he was like, Oh yeah, it time. is. And I said, Okay, well maybe they are. I don't know. 
Well, I, I, at least they're thinking about it. Sorry, I just I usually just shit on Jeff because he's Ohio State fan. <laughs> I forgot Christian was was saying that over well. Uh, but no, I agree. I mean, and the, the disrespect, Jeff, to BYU, Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati, who's coming into the Big Twelve. How can you not call that a Power Five conference? I listen. Uh, BYU has been crushing it in the last couple of years. Just you know, shout out. You, you can just say Jeff Bell reports that the <laughs> Big 12 is no longer a Power 5 conference. Oh, it. Put it on a card, club. Christian. Put it out yep. there. All right. We got it. All right. Let's move on. You know, uh, you know, Pac-12, you suck. Okay. So we're going to uh, – what we're going to dive into is behind the ranking process. We just want to kind of touch base with you. You know, obviously on the manifesto, we ranked a bunch of guys. We have a consensus ranking, our rankings, how much time goes into that, right? So, like, you know, what 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 goes in it? What what are we looking at when we're looking at prospects? You know, really, we're just gonna I'm gonna kind of let it go to we can talk about scouting. It's really up to the guys what they want to kind of touch on when they look at their process, and I'll kind of jump in too. Uh, but you know, Christian, Christian probably scouts more than me and Jeff combined because Christian looks at everybody, uh, and that dude has just got he and he doesn't have kids yet. Once he has kids, he's gonna figure that out quick, but now he doesn't, he doesn't have kids right now, so it's a little different. But uh, Christian, when you you can go anywhere you want, ranking, scouting. Uh, what is your overall process? And then we can kind of dive into it. So when we when we talked about doing this for this show, I started to think about, you know, the, the different ways that I scout. So I'm very, very intensive when I get to the current NFL draft class. Obviously, you know, over at the cut, we put together an entire draft guide. I've scouted over 150 prospects right now. So that level of scouting gets very, very deep. When putting together Debbie rankings, it's it's a much different process because if I tried to do that for every single player in college football, I would go nuts. I would have to quit my job. I would probably get fired because I'd be having to do it while I was at my job. And so what I start to do for my Debbie rankings is a condensed version of that. So the the biggest, I guess, let's walk it back. So when I'm heading into a current draft class, I have a whole system. So I have 10 metrics per position. I grade every single prospect in each one of those metrics. We One of them is production, one of them is athleticism, and then the rest are position specific. So for example, running backs get vision, burst, things that you look for in good running backs. Uh, we put that on a scale one to 10. It gets it, it gets intense because then you're kind of weighing each prospect against each other and against how you graded old classes. It's a little crazy. I started to do that when I was putting together Debbie rankings last year for the first time. I, I had never done Debbie rankings and I realized that that was not going to be possible. So what I try to do is I will watch the film. So I will, I will pull up a game film if I can find one of, of each of the, the Debbie prospects that I am ranking and I will watch it as if I were going to do that. And then I will just start to put together a list. So for example, last year, Howell Rattler, uh, Carson Strong, let's let's call it that group because I, I loved Carson Strong. I just watched the three of them and I said, here's what I think I would grade these guys out at. And then here's how they fall in my rankings. And so there are a ton of different things that you can look for when you're doing that. Um, you know, someone, I believe it was a conversation you were having today, Kevin. They said, I feel as though I go into every draft and I have to scramble and try to watch these guys in the middle of drafts. Yeah. And when I'm doing Debbie rankings, I'm trying to prevent myself from doing that. You know, like 
there's a reason that I have spent a lot of hours putting together my Debbie rankings is so I don't have to do that. And I still end up having to do that at the back end of C2C drafts because it's inevitable. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my process. I go into it with a, a scouting mindset. I look for the different factors that I'm grading on normally, but I don't technically do it for my Debbie rankings. Jeff, I'm sure yours, your process is a little different. All three of us have different processes when we scout. So Jeff, how, how do you go about it? Yeah. So I, so part of it is I lean heavily on. Um, so when it comes to Debbie rankings, I will lean heavily on recruiting rankings from 24 seven because they've got a team of guys out there doing a lot of that work for me and, and they're going to do better work than I'm going to do. That's the reality of the situation. Uh, when it comes to the NFL draft, like I, I will lay way a lot on draft capital because the teams are doing that work for me. They've got a team, they've got seven, eight, whatever it might be on their team of, of that is going through. That's watching all these guys that are creating their own ranks. Really what I'm personally looking for in terms of, um, so, th- so those are how you get the raw information and the raw rankings. Uh, and then when I'm looking at it, I'm looking for projection into fantasy roles. And I'm, I'm really looking for, um, types of fantasy producers. And I talk about it on the show a lot. And, and you know, like a guy like um, Calvin Austin uh, coming in at five foot seven, and, and he's, he's a fun, he's a dynamic player, but I have major questions about projecting that into an NFL role. I just don't see a lot of utility, a lot of guys that are heavy volume fantasy producers and, and my ranks, your ranks are a little bit more on a traditional scouting level rank. And, and you're kind of doing a little bit more of that traditional um, looking at NFL. How's this guy going to play? How's he going to get on the field? And I'm looking more raw fantasy production. And that's what I'm really trying to hunt. And, and so I'm looking at um, roles, how offenses use players within roles, how they use players within scheme, how players are going to fit those roles. And, you know, it's, so many of these buzzy, especially wide receivers. Um, I, I think people get these day four or day three round four guys. And they're like, this guy's going to be the guy that breaks out. And, and if they're not the archetype that they're looking for to be a real producer in this offense, they're not going to break out. And so many NFL offenses, especially, but college offenses too. college offenses, probably even more. So there's guys on the field that are designed to create space and create opportunity for the guys who are actually going to touch the ball. And, and you, you might have a guy that is on the field all the time. He's running nine routes. He's clearing deep. It's, it's just like an, a, what essentially the same job that a fullback would do. He's trying to eliminate a defender out of the play to open up space for a guy to work. And, and so when I'm, ranking rookies when i'm ranking guys in college when i'm ranking guys for debbie when i'm even ranking guys in nfl fantasy i'm looking for can you do you comfortably fit a role that is being produced right now in the nfl and trying to to think like what type of player are you and then when i get i kind of work on those broad bands um you know first round wide receivers or whatever it might be and then i can kind of narrow it down i like i you know, I, I'll admit it. I'm a narrative um, ranker, I guess. Or I, I use narrative a lot in my analysis. I think that there's value to that. I know that that's kind of a dirty word, especially when it comes to the analytics community, because you're supposed to just blindly look at the numbers and go with that. Um, I, I look heavily at situation, at scheme, 
how are players going to be put into position to succeed? And do I trust the coaching staffs to put players in those positions to succeed? And, and that's an open question too, that, you know, some are certainly much better than that than others. And so I kind of try to keep everything in tiers and, and just kind of operate within those tiers and where I'm comfortable. And then when it comes to playing fantasy, you know, I kind of operate within those and saying, well, I'm comfortable. I've got Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith that are relatively come in the same value. Like how can I move maneuver to get the last guy of that tier one move down to stay in that tier, but two, how can I get back up to get in that tier? And so that's kind of my process when it comes to fantasy football, but when it comes to rankings as well and trying to operate, trying to separate guys into those productive tiers, trying to profile into comfortable fantasy producing roles, and then operating within that, those market values. No, I mean, I think that's really good. I want to touch on too. Christian said something really important for everybody out there. Like, and I think it's a good value too. When, like, if you're in a campus can draft, and you're in the latter later rounds. I am googling players too and looking up highlights and trying to say, okay, I don't know all of them. Like, I do know a lot, but even even I'm getting to the point. Like, we're in a league right now. We're in the thirty third round, and I'm like, all right, let me go check a couple guys real quick because I don't necessarily know where I'm going to go here. And that's perfectly okay to say like, and unless they do strictly college fantasy, if someone tells you that they know all those guys, they're full of shit. I'm just telling you right now, because there's just too many guys in the NCAA to know. So don't feel like it's a bad thing if you don't know some of these things, because it isn't, it it really isn't like, there's just too many. So don't go there. Now, when I'm talking like Debbie rankings, like when I'm looking at Debbie, in reality, what are you, 48 players technically, I guess you need really need to know in terms of each draft class that you're going through. Uh, I do a little bit of split of what, what Christian and Jeff do. This is why we, I think we work a little well together because I'm right in the middle. Like I'll do, I scout and I look for that. And when I scout, I mean, obviously I do what Christian does not to that depth, but for me, what I tend to do, I look at fatal flaws of players and I put them in my do not draft list. And so like, I have a list, I'll rank them, but I will, I will either rank them consistent consensus low, or I'll put like just a dash next to their name, knowing I'm not going to touch this player, no matter how, where he's at, even with value, because I don't, I see a flaw that I've seen the last six years that determines that this guy's not going to go in the NFL because the NFL is a copycat league. And it's a narratively when you see these guys get used the same way, you pretty much can see a prospect their freshman year and be like, yeah, I'm out because I, I just don't see that there's now there's always unicorns, but I don't draft unicorns. Like I, I tend to like, I'm pretty even keeled. I like ceiling plays, but I don't try to go after unicorns that I think can break the mold because more than likely they're not breaking the mold. Like, and I don't have one Rondale Moore share. I don't have any Rondale Moore share. And the reason why is because, he was one of my do not draft people last year, just based on the profile and then based on kind of what we saw from him. And that's just kind of how I look at it. So for me, like I'm ranking them. I have the big board of tier and I just kind of go, where are my tiers at? I wrote an article today for fantasy pros on strategy, but I, I mean, I tend to look at running backs as the value monster and you just see, and you got to try to find those first to second round running backs. And then that's where the scouting comes into place. But for me, like personally, I tend to look at fatal flaws first. I look at, okay, where's a prospect win and okay, where's his value there? Gather as much information about the prospect. And then I say, okay, is he winning enough 
to overcome those flaws that I'm seeing in the profile. And I do look at numbers, not as much as others, but I do. Okay. Maybe the numbers will tell me something different. Um, but then I get worried about numbers sometimes because I see these ranks of these number guys and these analytics guys, and these guys don't always pan out. And I'm always like, yeah, that's, I'm good. I'm glad I went away from that. And then like a guy like Waddle, who was my wide receiver two last year, and I got some flag for it, but, but he fit my scouting profile of the things I like to see. So that's how I tend to do it. And I, I don't go overboard in Debbie. It's like, hey, these are the guys that I feel like can make an impact. If I got to get out of that round, I'll get out of that round. Uh, and I try to keep it very simple for the Debbie ranks. C2C gets very complicated, and I'm still tackling that, I'll be honest. Like, I think there's a fine line between college production and NFL production, and where's that bar? And I'm still, it's still something that I'm, I'm dealing with. Like, okay, where is that at? I'm, I'm, I'm fine tuning it. But Debbie, I'm pretty sure I know, okay, this is the guy. Like, that's why I'm really high on Nicholas Singleton. Uh, is someone who I think can be around one or two running back based on his profile, what we've seen from Travion and Bijan and these guys. Uh, and that's why, that's why I've been drafted him ahead of Christian everywhere. Right. So like, those are the, like, that's, that's who I was trying to grab. So I tend to look at it from the negative point of view, but that's just because I'm a pessimist and I try to mark the flaws. Okay. Where that flaw, I'm not taking this guy no matter what. And I'll stick to it. I don't reach on guys. I, I just stick to, stick to my profile. And, I, if, and I'm going to miss somebody. These guys know Drake London for me is a guy that I, I'm not going to draft, and I, if if I if 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 he if he gets big and he and he and he hits out, then I'll, I'll shake his hand and say, "Hey, good job, man! You you proved me wrong." But for me, his profile scares me, and I'm staying away. Yeah, yeah. This is Go definitely on. a tape show. Um, you know, I you know I've been a football <laughs> fan for 30 years and, and yeah. watched a lot of tape, and I know you guys watch a lot of tape as well. So, um, yeah, if this is an analytics, if you're an analytics mind, um, certainly we'll, we'll be open to your opinion. But it, you you know, this is uh, definitely a tape show. Um, yeah, it's. Go ahead, Christian. Yeah, I was just gonna. So I guess I'll I'll backtrack on that. So I do, I do incorporate analytics into my grading when I get to the current class, but it makes up 10% of my grades. So I am 90, 10 film analytics. And within that analytics is also like just raw production and not like the, the deeper, like market share numbers and things like that. They're all combined to make one metric for us, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's 90, 10. So yes, I agree that we are definitely a film, uh, film based podcast here. The thing I wanted to say though, so one thing that I really struggled with when I first started doing this was identifying athleticism on a college football field. I think that's one of the most important things, especially in Debbie. You know, Kevin talked about the difference between Debbie and C2C. In C2C, you might not have to be the most athletic dude out there to be productive. You might not. You might just be walking into a nice little opportunity on a bad team that is going to hand off to you 40 times. You know, uh, I, you know, sincere McCormick comes to mind. I don't think he's a, an elite athlete or anything like that, but he was productive and you know why he was productive. He got the ball, but it's really, really, I will say I'm still working on like fine tuning, identifying athleticism, the baseline right now is a perfect time. Go watch Travion Henderson and then watch a run back to back with, with Mayan Williams. That's how you identify athleticism because you can say, yeah, Travion is without a doubt an NFL athlete. And I, I want to say athleticism is not the end all be all either. No. I, I mean, you can have the most athletic dudes that turn into the worst NFL players because they don't have other skills that contribute to, you know, fantasy 
performances because that's what we're doing. We're playing fantasy, like Jeff always likes to say. Um, so you kind of have to balance that, but there needs to be a baseline of athleticism. Everyone was in on Demetric Felton after week one last year for the Browns. His relative athletic score was like historically low. The reason the Browns were okay taking him is because it was a late round guy. It's a flyer and he's a skilled player. I look at Demetric Felton's athletic profile and I say, yeah, I'm not touching that no matter what, no matter what kind of opportunity he runs into, I don't think it'll be sustainable. So those are kind of just some, some piggyback things. Athleticism matters. Analytics kind of almost don't, but they do. Uh, They do still matter. Um, Don't, don't cancel this analytics crowd, but uh, and yeah, just watch, watch the film, watch, watch football, because I think, for example, I could look at the market share of, for example, Drake London. Uh, Drake London's a kind of a weird example because I also love his film, but Drake London's market share on that USC team that had no other good weapons, massive. You look at him and you say, oh, he's analytically the wide receiver one or two. Traylon Burks was kind of the same way. But when you watch his film, you can say, well, can he actually do these things at the next level when he's not facing Pac-12 corners? Um Things like that. And if you guys ever have questions about like what exactly to look for when you're scouting, our DMs are open. You know, I am always willing to help. I've shared my like the the 10 factors that I, I grade on with people because I we, we're here to help. That's what we're here for. So, Jeff, I know I kind of cut you off. Was there something else well, you wanted to say? There? Yeah, no, I just wanted to say um, when it comes to college, when it comes to the Debbie side or the really less the C2C, more the Debbie side, um, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Uh, you know, Alabama knows what they're doing in recruiting. Ohio State knows what they're doing in recruiting. Yeah. And and when yeah. I'm looking at things, I, I'm going to defer to their ability to recruit players. And usually when I draft on the college side, um, I don't – you know, I, I'm still learning the college football and fantasy, and I'm I'm not the best. I'll admit it right away. I, my teams are kind of bad, but um, you know, the, I think I have a lot of guys that will translate to the NFL because I like to load up on those big college football programs, and that's when you look at the draft. Like the the top half of the draft is populated with guys that went to Georgia, went to Ohio State, went to Alabama, and and I think that there's a lot of I think there's in the fantasy space, there's a struggle to um, how can you provide value? And I know that I, that's something that I question myself constantly. How can I do something that matters? How can I add value to a conversation? How can I add value to my content? Um, But I think that we take it, there can be a tendency to reinvent the wheel to, to go a little bit overboard in that. And some of it is you just got to trust that guys that it's not only that, maybe you know as much as them but once you get them into a room together and the amount of time that they're putting in work into things um i think that you're going to be right more often than you're going to be wrong by just deferring to what you know to be well-run college football programs and well-run nfl teams i mean yeah i mean and what jeff talked about too it's not hard if you want a wide receiver you go to ohio state or alabama but mostly ohio state and you look at the they're bringing in five guys i think this year in the recruiting class keon graves caleb burton all these guys 
follow the follow the talent. I mean, that's kind of I mean, that's really what I do. And I look at it. Um, and from a running back perspective, there's certain traits I like to see from a running back. Uh, but, you know, you just follow the talent, making things easy, and especially in Debbie. Don't make it harder than it needs to be like and I don't reach. And I think that's where it's at. But it, also, you don't need to know a ton of guys. I think that's the one misnomer about Debbie. You don't need to know a ton of guys. You really don't. Some of the biggest Debbie guys out there probably don't know, like more than probably 12 or 20, because you don't need to. Like you just talk about those 20 guys and the two rounds that everybody is there. But guy, but I think I think the most important skill is knowing who not to draft. I I will that's in my opinion, those are the ways I look at it. This is a guy that will not ever be on my roster because my process says no, and I'm not going to miss. And I think that's for me personally, how I always look at Debbie drafts and Debbie ranks. Uh, and it doesn't matter. Like it just doesn't matter based on that value where it's going like Slovis last year. And everybody was more high on Slovis than we were. We would, we definitely were the hated show on this. We were just getting started and everybody hated us. Cause we said, Hey, Slovis isn't there in one of our drafts. Slovis fell to the seventh round. And I was co-owning a team, and the co-owner said, we have to grab Slovis. I said, if you grab Slovis, I will quit this league. I will not take Slovis. I swear to God, it's a true story. And he's like, all right, all right. So we didn't take Slovis. And then later he was like, oh, thank you. And I was because I wouldn't take him. I didn't care how far that dude fell. And it's just based on that profile. And, I, and, and that's just kind of how I look at it. So we all have different ways how we look at these things. Um, there's really no right or wrong answer, though. You know, I like Dominator Ray, and I look at those type of things, too. Um, I, I, I think there's value in analytics, but I just love watching tape, and I love kind of seeing these things. And my eye, and I know the analyst guys won't like this, but my opinion, based on what I see out there, based on me watching college football now for 29, 30 years since I was five, I can kind of tell the guys that I think translates well. And I think that that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the struggles when it comes to tape. And, and like, I'm in the same place as you, you know, I've been watching football since the 90s. And I feel, yeah, you feel like you can see it when you see it, you can see it. And I think that that's when people are, um, yeah, I think that that's kind of, maybe that's what fight kind of the fight between analytics and tape is the lack of just the barrier of entry to get into watching tape and being able to understand what you're seeing and being able to, have build that knowledge base on like, so like I'm the type that I can watch a player and like, there will be a guy from 20 years ago that will immediately pop into my mind that like, this guy reminds me of that guy that did yeah. this, that succeeded at the NFL level. And, and there's, you know, and then you see other guys that you're like, well, I've never seen a guy like that, both good or bad. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that you train. And, and I do think that there's, there's a very real, and it's something that I want to get better at too. Like I, I, I'm going to try to take scouting classes and I'm going to see, try to see, get more inside the mind of scouts. And, and I think that one of the things that um, when you're not that practiced, something that you might struggle with is looking for only for what a guy does bad. Whereas I think kind of the mindset of NFL scouts, they're looking for what can a guy do well and how can we use that? And how does that translate to the NFL? And I don't think that we, it's easier to see the negative. And, and I've seen, you know, Matt Harmon is somebody that he's talked about Deontay Johnson's drops and how in overall in the amount of targets that Deontay Johnson sees, those drops don't matter. Whereas, but in our mind, we just attach to the negative and we say, well, this guy's a dropper and because I've seen him drop passes. And, and I think that there's a stigma 
that um, things that don't really matter, we, we kind of chalk those up. And, and I think that that's something that people can really struggle with. Last thing I wanted to do is two plugs, but I think both of them are helpful if, if you're interested in this stuff that we've been talking about. First, I wrote an article probably over a year ago now or close to it uh, for The Cut, I believe. I think I wrote it there. Uh, how, like, I explained my process start to finish on how I will scout a prospect, uh, how many games to watch when you really want to, like, deep dive how many games to watch, what to look for, how to set things up. I recommend go going to find that. I can link it. If you guys are interested in that, DM me because um, I don't know where it is. Uh, the other thing, Kevin talked about at the back end of C2C drafts, how he's still like looking for players. And Kevin and I would say is the most experienced C2C player here. So we're all doing that. I have used our manifesto probably more than our patrons have used our manifesto in doing this. Cause I'm sitting there, I'm scrolling through depth charts. I'm looking for guys that might not be drafted yet. That could maybe walk into some opportunity has a decent star rating. Cause those do matter too. We didn't even get to talk about that. Um, and, and things like that. So just two things that two resources that might be helpful to you. If you want to, you know, further yourself after this episode. Yeah. No, hey, stars matter. Let's let's clear that up. Stars a hundred percent matter. There well, that'll be a whole nother uh like probably like a mid-May show. All right, so let's um <laughs> let, let's get out of here real quick. Let's talk about uh sportsbook rundown. So we're gonna do a little bit of games. Obviously, we're not doing football games, uh, but oh I, I won last week. Look at that. I finally won. I haven't won the sportsbook rundown in about I don't know, five months. <laughs> yes. So the sportsbook rundown last week I don't remember what we picked. We picked we did, the All Star um, game, the NBA All Star game, and then we had three college games that we picked. Ah, okay. Look at that. I found my so, niche. So I, I picked what the team LeBron who won. And you so and that, Kevin picked team LeBron, and that was the okay. one that you got right. Everybody missed the Michigan State game, and um, you got right. You missed Clemson, I believe. I think there was one other game. Villanova Georgetown was the other game. You got you got the LeBron was what you got right. I got the Florida State game right. So and Kevin got most everything. I'll take it. I'll take that, yeah. Deb. All right. Uh so we're gonna be picking some NBA games and we're gonna be doing uh golf. The Honda Classic is this weekend. So uh first one that we're gonna pick is Cavs at Pistons because Jeff's a Pistons fan and I'm a Cavs fan. And then we're going to get Kevin's favorite team in here as well. Uh, so in this game, the Pistons are seven-point underdogs at home. Go Cavs. Uh, Kevin, who are you taking? I'll take the Cavs. I'll take the Pistons because they're not going to the playoffs, but they'll probably mess up their draft position. So I have to take the Cavs, obligated. So uh, I just wanted a, an easy one for myself here. Uh, all right, next next one, Nuggets at Kings. Kings are four-and-a-half-point dogs at home. Kevin, who are you taking in this one? Yeah, I'm taking the Nuggets because the Kings are terrible. My my life. Yeah. I'll go with the Kings. I am going to go with the Nuggets on this one. Uh, shout out. Okay. Um, I don't even know it's and anywhere anymore because yeah. I was a big NBA fan two years ago. And then if you're not a big NBA fan right now, everybody just plays for the same teams. Sure. All right. And then the third NBA game that we're going to pick, and it's a close, closer line. 
Uh, Grizzlies at Timberwolves. The Timberwolves are two and a half point home dogs. Home court advantage doesn't matter anymore, apparently. That's what we're learning. Kevin, who you taking? Give me the Tims. Uh, off the three point champion, Cat, give me the Timberwolves. Okay. I'll take the yeah. Grizzlies. Go, John Morant. Yeah, I'm a big jaw guy as well, so I'll take the Grizzlies here. And then the last thing that we are going to pick is the Honda Classic. We're just going to uh, – if you guys watched the show last spring and summer, we we did pick some golf. Yeah. And so whichever one of these guys finishes the highest is the winner of this. So uh, the three favorites – Kevin, can you help me out on this first name, man, please? Soon J.M. Okay, that's what I would have said, but I just want, I don't want to be disrespectful, you know. He's the favorite uh, at plus 1100. Uh, Daniel Berger, Berger, uh, plus 1600. And then Joaquin Neiman is plus 1600. I tried that one, but not Sungjae. Uh, all right. Um, Kevin, who are you taking out of these three to finish the highest? I'm taking Joaquin. He looked so good last week. I know that it could be a letdown after winning, but I- I'm going to take Joaquin. I'll I'll take Burger. You can you can have Burger, Sungjae, <laughs> Berger. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I'll take the, I'll take the favorite. I, so he so Sungjae. I believe I read he won it in twenty twenty. Um, probably he plays every tournament. So I'm not quite sure. Uh, he that dude plays literally every tournament. He doesn't even have a house in America. He just drives from hotel to hotel. He's grinding. Awesome. Respect yeah, the grind. Respect the grind. Here we go. Now so that'll do it for the sportsbook rundown. <laughs> All right, let's uh, uh, let's jump <laughs> let's jump over to prospect poker. Uh, rules of the game are simple here. We're gonna be you know quick. We're gonna toss three cards of river. We're gonna play a little poker. But today we're gonna be talking about who has gained the most and who has lost the most in the portal. So we're talking about teams here, guys that we've seen lose go on there. So who has gained the most for you, Christian? Well, so I went with USC. And I, you know, I wrote the Williamses here in Caleb and Mario, but I think also we can call Lincoln Riley part of the transfer portal because I want to cheat a little bit. So that trio uh, coming over from Oklahoma, I think, is significant with respect to the conference that they are joining. So I think that they have gained the most and that they have gained the largest advantage with those transfers. All right. So our, our initial turn here, we have an ace of spades. We have a five of hearts and we have a two of hearts. And Christian's going to throw up a four of spades. My pick is Ole Miss. And I know that Ole Miss lost a lot um, of depth throughout their program. But Lane Kiffin had emerged as transfer king. And, you know, he brought in Jackson Darty, brought in a brand new starting quarterback after losing Matt Corral to the NFL draft. He brought in Michael Trigg coming with Jackson Dart. Then they brought in Zach Evans, who I think that he's either your running back two or running back three in the upcoming class. And anytime you can dip into the portal, walk away with a brand new starting quarterback, a brand new starting running back, and then a a tight end as well that are all projectable to the NFL level, then uh, Lane did pretty good for himself. And so I'll go ahead and have Ole Miss as most of the gain. And I've got a three of of diamonds. Oh. Inside straight draw. Uh, you know, for, for me, what I'm going to be looking at, I, 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 I cheated. I took Alabama. But, I mean, come on. You can't – they got Burton, they got Gibbs, and they got Eli Ricks. You know, I, I think they just basically reloaded three of the best players in the portal that they grabbed. Burton was needed in that wide receiver room after everybody that left. Gibbs is just going to be a massive influence there. Uh, I think that they just reloaded and are going to be back in the playoff. That's kind of what we talked about in the show. 
An eight of hearts for Kevin. Hi, Carl. Yeah, we are we are doing poorly. All right. Uh, the team I picked that lost the most is actually Oregon. So uh, double whammy, or I guess a double whammy in that USC added the most and Oregon kind of lost a lot. Uh, they lost uh, Travis Dye, their starting running back that doesn't know what gloves are. Uh, they lost Micah Pittman. He, Travis Dye should hit up Kenny Pickett. Um, and then they also lost one of their best offensive tackles, which I know it, on a fantasy podcast, you don't think that that matters, but that's definitely going to matter. Also, they added Bo Nix, which is a, a loss by addition. Uh, so, Oregon, what you, what you doing? Ooh, <laughs> throwing up a four of hearts. So Christian's got a pair of fours right now. So Christian's Jeez. looking pretty good. So my pick is Oklahoma. You know, if we're going to talk about Lincoln Riley going to USC and the Williams yeah. is going to USC and winning for USC, um, then Oklahoma is on the losing end of that transaction. They lost Jaden Hazelwood. They lost Spencer Rattler. They lost Austin Stogner. They lost basically their entire offense from last year outside of um, whatever Eric Gray has become. So Oklahoma is sitting as a loser right now. A six of diamonds. I got nothing. It's not going to be my show this week. All all around it. You know, I I picked a little off branch for mine. Virginia Cavaliers, you know, obviously they, you know, they have Tony Ella, their new head coach, office coordinator from Clemson. The reason why I picked Virginia is because everybody's kind of on the Brendan Armstrong train and all of that stuff. And and I've seen it, but you know that they lost their left tackle, their left guard, their center and their right tackle to the transport portal. So they're rebuilding that entire offensive line. It looks like they literally lost four starters on there. Uh, then they lost two of their starting linebackers and their defensive tackle, their starting defensive tackle on top of 10 other guys that are contemplating losing the portal. So they lost a ton of guys and definitely on that offensive line. I think that's something they're going to have to rebuild. So just get, you know, have that in mind when we're talking about there and Tony Elliott's coming there. So that offense not going to be very good. Sorry, Tony Elliott. Kevin has a king of yeah. spades. That means yeah. Christian wins this game. So one game for Kevin, one game for Christian. So the last game that we play is we play a little bit of blackjack. The way we play blackjack is um, when you hit, you get asked a trivia question. You get the beneficial outcome. If you get it right, you get a non-beneficial outcome if you get it wrong. And we're going to lead it off here. And Christian is going to throw up. Oh, gosh, here we go. It's <laughs> and Kevin oh, oh, is going oh, oh, to answer oh, oh, with 17. Uh, and I've got a 20. Ooh, I'm sitting on 20 as well. So does anybody have a trivia question? Yeah. Yes, I yeah, do. But the problem is you're the only one that needs the question. So we got to. Oh, yeah. You guys got to ask me a question. All right. I have an NFL draft based question. Uh, which college has produced the most draft picks in NFL history? That's a tough one. I feel like it's probably going to be wrong, but is it Oklahoma? It is not. Jeff, do you have a guess by chance? Ohio State. No. USC? I was going to say USC second. No, No. they were on the list. It's Notre Dame, actually. Ah. This would be my other guess. That would would have been really good for you if you got that question right, Kevin. That would have been 21. Yes. I'd bust it. You busted. So that That's means bummer. Christian is the winner. Yeah. So oh. congratulations, Christian. That means you get a little bit of FaceTime. Yeah. Here's the problem. So before 
before we do that, I re uh, renamed the the segment Jeff's Corner, so I had to retype <laughs> it just now. Um, all right, so he, Jeff had won the last, I think, six shows or something yeah, like that. So, yeah, we don't talk uh, about it. We don't talk about Bruno. Yeah, we don't. We don't. Uh, so for my 30 seconds of FaceTime, I just want to talk about um, I, I put out some some rankings uh, combining this class and last year's draft class. And it was kind of a hit. Um, and, and the reason I think it was a hit is because looking at classes when compared with not only their peers, but also the the groups that came before them you know i think it would be valuable to look at the last three classes and maybe pre and post draft grades on these kinds of guys to kind of see how they're stacking up because and the reason i bring this up is because it's very very easy to get really excited about some of these prospects and for what it's worth some of the 2022 guys fell pretty high in my my grading but when you look at my quarterback class there were four guys last year that i had graded ahead of anyone in this class which is kind of indicative of what type of class it is. So I challenge everyone who's listening or watching this to kind of do that for yourself. You know, how do you look at these guys? How would you stack these guys up to the guys that came before them? You know, a lot of people are in on Malik Willis. I'm seeing some takes that maybe we should value Malik Willis higher than Trey Lance or, or Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. And what I would say is maybe just think about how we felt about those guys last year. Uh, and start to remember it's really easy to get caught up in the moment um, but I challenge you to not be be fall victim to that and, and really think about what types of players these guys are that's it that's all Word, words of knowledge there yeah yeah and and when you do rankings please make sure that you don't misrepresent your last rankings from last year when you do that when you add them together make sure they're on the same page all right so next week we'll be back march 1st we're in march already uh we'll be down at 9 30 eastern until then i'm kevin coleman at the boys underscore 22 i'm jeff bell at for whom j bell tolls and i am christian williams at c williams nfl and this is the w Royale.